Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? It is Wednesday night. It is 7.30, which means Shout a Buffalo Football Podcast is back in your life, and we are excited. We got a a fun show for you tonight. Uh, But whether you're celebrating at home or away this weekend, there's a big game, I think. Uh, We may talk a little bit about that uh, on Sunday. Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more, has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football entertaining or any occasion in the house tonight. Uh, Joining myself, Ryan Talbot is Evan Kazarzak. What is up, buddy? Uh, he spent the season, most of the season, on the Buffalo Bills practice squad. We're going to get into that. UB alum, horns up, obviously. Uh, uh, I'm a proud alum as well. Uh, how are you? Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm doing good, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. Excited to be on here. Looking forward to it. Awesome. A uh, little bit of uh, some housekeeping before we get into this. I got to tell you, Ryan, and I don't know if you've seen the show, Evan, you could chime in if you have. I, I kind of put some shade on Ted Lasso last week. Uh, I just started watching it. I got into about four episodes and I was I wasn't bought in. I wasn't all in. And I, and I went and I watched episode five and there was a speech in there. I think it was episode five or six. We're now halfway through season two. Ted Lasso is quickly climbing the charts as one of my favorite shows, Ryan. So I'm sorry. I got, I gotta, I gotta say, man, like you were right there. This is a great show. I love it. Yeah. And my wife actually just got me the diamond dog shirt. So I plan on wearing that this weekend. I'm pretty pumped about that. Yeah. One of my favorite shows of all time and uh, definitely delivers. All right. So two years now in the books, I mean, you've been kind of all over the place. Take us a little bit, you know, for people that are kind of maybe getting to know you a little bit uh, here tonight, take us into your journey, what it's been like, you know, you started at West Seneca, obviously. Uh, somebody in the comments here already, West Seneca, stand up. Some some locals are excited. Uh, your journey to UB and then into the NFL and, and where you've been? Um, yeah, obviously, West Seneca um, native. Uh, went to West Seneca East, uh, graduated 2015. Um, then obviously UB alum, came out 2019. Then, you know, obviously, uh, right as, the, as COVID started to happen, that's when, you know, I was coming out. So things were a little different. Uh, coming out than the normal, you know, every other class before before and has come out with college. 
so a lot of new things were going on and, you know, kind of learning on the fly as, you know, every team was, um, had to do things differently. Uh, it was so, I mean, it was nice learning how that, how like the NFL worked that way. And then, you know, I think it just gave me more pre- appreciation for having the opportunity because it was harder that year to get an opportunity, you know, coming out of college. So I just, I think I'm just more grateful for getting an opportunity in the first place when that happened, you know, and obviously, so I started with Atlanta coming out, uh, undrafted, uh, had the off season there training camp, you know, didn't work out there, had a great time there though. I only good things about it down there. Then obviously with no film, no preseason last year, um, didn't really have any action going on. I had one workout with green Bay last season and then coming into this season, you know, this off season, Minnesota called my agent up, came in for rookie mini camp as like a tryout kind of thing. They liked what they saw. They gave me an opportunity for training camp. You know, was there for your off-season training camp, all that. Um, didn't work out there, obviously. So they cut me there. I enjoyed it there. It was awesome there, too. Then Washington, you know, almost almost immediately uh, called me that called me in for a workout. Went down there. They signed me for a couple weeks. They then released me, uh, what, two weeks? I think the second week. Then about a month off. A little over a month, um, Buffalo, you know, hit my agent up, called called me in for a workout, and, you know, the rest is history from there. They, I actually had, you know, watch, going on Twitter and all that around that time when I had the workout. So it was like a week. It was like a Thursday or Wednesday, I think it was. I'm not sure. But I actually knew that day when we had the workout they were going to sign me. But it was during the bye week, and I couldn't say anything. So I had to just keep it under wraps for about a week or so. I couldn't tell anybody, which was kind of hard. And obviously you want to spread the news because that's pretty exciting news, especially being at, being in Buffalo, signing with the hometown team. But uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of funny on, looking on Twitter, like everyone's speculating, like who did they sign, all that. And, you know, I, was, I, I obviously knew they signed me. So it was kind of funny, you know, that little moment right there. But yeah, was with the Bills for most of the season. It was awesome being there. You know, you alluded to it, Evan, West Seneca kid, you get to sign with the hometown team. What was it like putting on the Bills jersey day in and day out? I mean, it was, it was just a dream come true every day. You know, you know, every, like obviously I was with three other teams. Um, you kind of get lost in everyday things doing that. But like being with Buffalo, you're going into that facility every day. You're just you're like, wow, I'm living my dream. You know, ever since I was a young kid, this is what I wanted to do. And you know, you just appreciate even more. You're like, this is no, like not many people get to say they played for their hometown team and I'm doing that. And it was awesome. You know, I never really got lost in like, uh, I go, guy go in the facility today, guy go to practice. It was always like, you know, I'm practicing, I'm playing for the bills. It was just awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Growing up, take us back to that a little bit. What was your bills experience? Obviously this is, you know, your hometown team you grew up in buffalo were you a big bills fan were you did you go to games did you tailgate were you a part of bills mafia even maybe while you were going to 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 ub what was that all like oh uh, definitely i mean ever since i can remember you know i was a fan of the buffalo bills obviously you know growing up they weren't very good <laughs> had a lot of, had a lot of struggles growing up and it was you know but you know how everyone is in buffalo they're diehard fans of the bills so no matter what, good or bad, they were there, you know, and I was I was there too. So, and then growing up, you know, as I got older, would go to some games every now and then with some friends. And going to college, I would bring friends from UB, go to go to a couple of games here and there when we had the time. 
it was just, you know, fully bought in ever since I can remember as a Bills fan. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned growing up, the Bills weren't very good for quite some time, but uh, they've been very consistent in the last few years. And one big reason for that is the, the quarterback play of Josh Allen. Any impressions on Buffalo's franchise QB? Um, I mean, he's just a good dude all around. You know, there's a lot of guys in the locker room who he has relationships with, and that shows, you know, obviously on the field. and But in the locker room, too, you just see, like, he's a very genuine guy and also just a good guy to be around. You know, he's funny, um, very approachable, a very good leader, too. And my locker was actually kind of close to his, so I would kind of talk to him more than a couple other guys that, you know, wasn't around as much. So just kind of being able to talk to him and, like, <clears throat> see how he goes about his business, just things like that. He's a real pro. I mean, he was definitely kind of like, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people think he's a goofy guy. He is. I mean, he's funny. But like I said, he's a good leader, too. And he and he shows that in the locker room and then on the field, having those relationships with the guys. I got to say, one of the things I miss most about being in the locker room, you know, because of COVID, the media hasn't been in there for a couple seasons now, were the daily uh, battles on the ping pong table between <laughs> Davis Webb and Josh Allen. I think it was actually Matt Barkley who got pretty heated back in the day. And then Davis and, and Josh would go over to the the foosball table was a, was a popular one too. Take us into that a little bit because fans, I think get a kick out of that. It's a really competitive environment in the locker room, right? Definitely. I mean, they got the, they got ping pong, they got a basketball hoop, cornhole. Um, and every day there's guys going at it, you know, on, on all, all of those things, either, you know, like you said, ping pong, there's always guys before practice, after practice, just, you know, always talking smack to each other, you know, saying who's better. And it's, it's awesome. You know, just the camaraderie there is, you know, it's great. That's what makes a locker room a locker room. You know, those locker rooms special for, you know, just guys want to be with each other, you know, not just when you have to be there, but, you know, afterwards, before and after. I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great atmosphere in there. I was talking to Ryan before we started the show. And one of the things I wanted to go back to was the Kansas city game, obviously, but I kind of posed the question as we were going to kind of present it to you as was this like the toughest moment, you know, of your competitive career, like to be, to be as part of a situation like that. I know, you know, you technically didn't play, but being a part of a team and the emotion mm-hmm. around that, but then I got to thinking about it. You were a part of a pretty heartbreaking game back in 2018, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Mac title game, yep. maybe that, you know, maybe outranks it, uh, putting those two games together, those two moments. I mean, you've experienced some, some, some heartbreaking moments in football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, def- comparing the two, um, I'd say the one in 28, the Mac championship game, Mac championship game in 2018 might have the, might have the edge on that just because obviously I was playing and just, you know, it took all the work those years leading up to that moment. You know, we went from two and 10 and then six and six and then 10 and four that season. It was just, you know, you've seen all the hard work that you put in and it comes so close to winning the Mac championship. It's just, that was that was awful. That took a while for me to get over. Um, but then, obviously, Kansas City was still – that was tough. Even though I wasn't playing, you're on the sideline. All the emotions, you know, the highs and the lows of that game was – you know, you went, you went you were going for a ride with that game. And, you know, end of the game, you know, I think everyone was just in shock, you know, and didn't want to, you know, believe that what really happened. You know, but that's just how sports are. You know, there's got to be a winner. There's got to be a loser. So – that's just what's going to happen in sports. 
you know, you just mentioned something uh, that, that made me think of a follow-up question. You said it, it's always kind of uh, tough to get over losses like that, the Mac game. Uh, I was talking with a coworker who said, haven't been able to turn on the TV all week after that Chiefs game. Can't watch Sports Center. Don't want to watch any of that. What about from a player perspective? How long does it take, especially one that ends the season? I, I, obviously, in week, you know, you have to turn the page, get ready for the next game. But when your season ends, whether that's college or pro, how long does it take for the player to turn the page? I think obviously it's it depends on you know how far you go, how it ends. You know, those are two I think variables of what you got to look into for each season. Like, like I said, the match championship game ending in that game that you know high pressure, you know, winner takes all type of game. It's all or nothing there. Um, and the way that one ended too, that one's that one stung. So it's that one took me, you know quite some time, at least a week or two, probably until I wanted to, you know, even think about football or anything like that. And then, you know, the Chiefs game, you know, um, that was a little, not as long, but it was, it's still, it's still sunk because everyone, you know, we all believe that we should be, you know, preparing for the Super Bowl right now. So, you know, coming up short like that, it, it hurts, you know, you still want to be playing and, you know, not being able to come out with the win on that one, it, it, it stung. Everybody, fan, coach, player, probably replays those final 13 seconds like over and over in in their head. I mean, even looking at it now, you know, and we've talked about it on, I've talked about it on pretty much every radio show that I've done, like just trying to compartmentalize each moment of it. It's almost like every single thing had to go wrong in that last 13 seconds for that to happen the way that it did. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, obviously I don't play defense, uh, but I mean, it's just being on the sideline watching. You're like, all right, like you have faith in the guys that are out there, you know, the whole time. Like me, obviously, I'm not playing, so I have faith in everyone that's out there, offense, mm-hmm. defense, and you just believe you're gonna come out on top, you know, no matter what. So you believe like you kick off, you know, however it goes, the defense can go out there and they're gonna, you know, step up, you know, and you know, I mean, obviously, there's mistakes in every every game, you know, during different moments, but it just it just things that the last 13 seconds glares out so much because we lost. If we would have won, it wouldn't be an issue at all. Like say they came to the 50 yard line, whatever, it wouldn't really, those 13 seconds wouldn't matter at all. But since, you know, we lost, we came on losing end. It's like, that's what sticks out for everybody. It was, it was tough being on the sideline and watching that one for sure. Oh, absolutely. You know, and in football, there's a lot of turnover. There's a lot of changes and and two people that the bills have lost this off season are Brian Dable and Bobby Johnson, uh, both going over to the New York Giants. What can you tell, you know, maybe any Giants fans tuning in to watch this later on uh, about those two coaches? Dable, he cares. I think he really shows that he cares about his players. You know, during my time there, he would come up to me and talk to me about things. I think having that West Side connection definitely helped a little bit. You know, I mean, it's not like I played or anything, but he would still take to take his time out of, out of his data. You know, ask me how things are going, all that. And then Bobby you know, every day, you know, obviously you're working with him. Um, I think he's a good, he's a really good coach. You know, he's really, I say energetic, you know, doesn't really get negative. You know, he's always trying to look at the positive side of things, which is good for a coach. You know, obviously, obviously, you know, when you got to work on things, so he'll point them out and all that, but being like, you know, having the positive mindset is huge as a coach because you don't want the players to, you know, get upset or get down or, you know, just be in a bad frame of mind while practicing or in a game. So, I think those are two things you could look, you know, expect out of those two coaches. 
you play uh, predominantly tackle, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. You know, a guy that we have on the show, uh, recurring guest, his name's uh, Jeremiah Searles. He played for the Vikings actually for a little bit, then the Bills. Um, and he was able to play all five positions. As you kind of move forward, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I know it's it's probably not something I mean unless you're like Ryan Bates or something it's not yeah. something that I think a lot of guys really can do one of the comments though one of the questions in the comments was can you play any guard have you ever tried it is it something that like sometimes it's almost like I feel like fans go to this this uh oh just just kick him inside like Tommy Doyle there's nowhere for him to play like just kick him inside it's like it's not it's not that easy right Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a little different just because you're inside. It's a little bit more compact inside. Like you've got guys on both sides of you. Um, but mm-hmm. it's definitely possible. It's a little tough if you haven't ever played it before. Being in the NFL, you have, you know, you have that ability to kind of go on the fly and, you know, get the feel for it. You know, like me, actually, this past season, me personally, I would play left and right tackle. And then at some point during practices, I would have to play guard, which I've never played guard in my life, but I had to. And, you know, I felt like I did decent enough and inside a guard for, you know, at practice and all that. Like, I feel like if you, after more practice of learning that one position, you'd be able to swing at both guard and tackle then. So, I mean, obviously it depends on your size, like the size of guys, obviously. Um, but then just you got to be confident enough to tell yourself that like, you can play that position. So, I mean, I wouldn't say it's not possible. Like, you know, just it's just a little bit harder. You know, it's not – it's a totally different position, like I said, like you're inside, guys on both sides of you. But it's just you'll adapt and learn on the fly. It, was there one player in the Bills locker room on the offensive line that maybe you would go to and, and pick their brain a little bit, someone that uh, you, knew, you knew you could always go to if there was something that came up? Probably the most because I played tackle was probably Dion. You know, he's he was always super open to helping me out and, you know, giving me pointers and stuff. Even when I didn't ask, he would just come out to me and be like, hey, like try this out or – you know, keep on working on this. So that was super awesome. Like for a guy like him who, you know, I just went to, just went to the Pro Bowl, you know, like, you know, he's been in the league for, I don't know, what, what, five, six years now, you know, and obviously he's proven himself to be a, like a good left tackle because, I mean, he was just went to the Pro Bowl this year, like I said, but I mean, like he knows his stuff and listening to him, you know, I, I take that and I actually, you know, try using that because I know that he's, he knows what he's talking about. You know, he's been in the league for a few years now. There's not, it's not just him. I would listen to a bunch of guys on the line too. If I like, I would go to, I could go to Mitch Morse, um, Daryl, uh, Bates, even, you know, those are kind of guys that like, you know, all of them were really open, friendly, and willing to help me out. So I wouldn't say none of them were kind of like, don't come to me for questions or anything like that. But I mean, when it comes to who I would go to the most was Dion, just because he's tackle. You know, I do a lot of drill work with him. So, that's probably who I go to the, for the most, most part. Mm-hmm. When you're working on, you know, scout team and, you know, throughout the season, like during practice, was there somebody like on the defensive side, probably more specifically the defensive line is somebody you'd probably be going up against in practice that really just wowed you with their, with their skill set? I mean, they were all like, all of them are really good. They all have different things that they're good at. I think for me, when I would move inside the guard, the speed of Ed Oliver definitely took me, you know, at first I was like, wow, this guy's a lot faster than what I thought. So I think at Oliver's speed, when I moved, when I would play inside a guard, definitely was something that opened my eyes. Like, wow, this guy's, this guy's pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He has that initial uh, first step that can uh, blow a lot of people away. 
this season, do you do you have one favorite memory that comes to mind? I mean, there's a couple of them I could think I would say, but I may think I think the top one maybe would just be winning the AFC East. You know, because because everyone you know was doubting doubting us with how you know how the season went with Patriots kind of you know getting hot at the time at that you know in the season there beating us the first time, and you know we went to New England beat them you know pretty pretty handedly. But I think that just showed like, you know, the Bills, you know, we're here to to stick around and they and they, you know, the guys that are out there, they showed then that, you know, we the Bills run the AFC East and that was just being in the locker room afterwards, you know, celebrating. It was it was pretty fun in there. It was awesome. Um, we have uh, the best fans in the world. Bills Mafia is great. And uh, <laughs> you know, even in the offseason, still kind of licking their wounds from the loss. Uh, question for you here from Rick. Uh, do you prefer right or left tackle? And I guess to add on to that a little bit, what are what are the the major differences? I remember talking to Daryl Williams um, at one point, or no, it was a Spencer Brown actually. He's like, just imagine yourself being right handed, and then somebody asking you to to right left handed. It was that much of a dramatic change when you go back and forth. I would agree with that honestly, because you're, you know, obviously with him being a rookie too, he probably he's probably used to playing one side of the ball his whole time in college. Um, and that's how I was too. I played mostly left tackle. So I still lean towards favoring my left side just because I'm more used to those movements, like pushing off my right side to kick step, you know, and you know, the way you move is just different. Like it's you're using opposite sides. But I mean, I, like with me now kind of, you know, my whole time in the, in the league so far, I've been switching back and forth. So I'm kind of used to it now, but definitely mm-hmm. at first you're like, this is weird. <laughs> so it's, you know, when you first get to switching over, you're like, you know, I'm not used to this at all. And it's totally, it is, it is totally different. Like you said. So I, I agree with Spencer on that one. CR in the comments is, is wondering, we were talking about this a little bit before you got on here, before we started, what does your off season training program look like? Did, um, and obviously uh, you have not resigned with the bills, right? So you're, you're a free agent right now, the mm-hmm. future, we don't know what that looks like, but for yourself, what is the, what does the off season look like for you? You know, obviously your strength, strength training, uh, you don't want to go, you know, I'm not looking at like me personally, I don't look to really gain a lot more money. Like my strength wise, I feel confident where I'm at. I'm just looking to maintain, stay in shape, you know, don't, don't get fat, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I mean, so yeah, obviously, you know, strength, strength wise, I train, you know, four days a week about, and then obviously mix mix conditioning and sprinting in there and, you know, movement and mobility in there and then individual work as well. So, I mean, and then obviously I said earlier, I haven't really done much yet. I'm about to start back up this coming week. That's when the grind will start again, you know, because you after the season you want to take a little bit of time off for yourself and just relax, you know, and decompress from everything. So, but that's that's usually how it'll go, like four days a week of just, you know, hard training and then mixing up what you're going to, like running-wise, what you'll do during the week. And then obviously your individual work for your position. Obviously, I mentioned the the UB connection. Uh, I, I do root for the UB guys in the league. Uh, it's been I've tried to make sure to to make sure people know that whenever I talk about Cam Lewis on this show, it's uh, <laughs> there might be a little nepotism there because uh, I kind of always root for those guys. And one of the mm-hmm. coolest moments I think in the NFL season, uh, Tyree Jackson scoring that touchdown. You play with him at UB, yep. obviously a good friend of yours. What mm-hmm. was that like watching that? Just for you know. Knowing all the things that he's gone through, uh, we're hoping to actually have him on the podcast later this offseason. But, you know, the, the switch from quarterback to tight end, everything that he went through, obviously the bad injury, it stinks. But to see him have that moment on national TV like that, what was that like? 
that was awesome too. I mean, like I was watching that game. I knew he was gonna be playing a lot because he, you know, I, I still I'm very close with him. So he told me like, you know, he's gonna be playing a lot that game. So I was like, All right, I'm gonna watch, make sure if something happens, I, I see it for myself. But I mean, just seeing because I, you know, when he comes back to Buffalo during the off season too, and training with him, spending a lot of time with him, I see like all the work that he's put in. And when he made that position change, it was like he was all he was bought in 100. Like this, that's what he's going to do. And he worked every day, like just to try and get the opportunity and to see all that work pay off for that touchdown. It was that was awesome to see. I was so excited for him. Well, Evan, uh, we're so appreciative of you uh, of you taking the time here. Tell us a little bit about your your season, your story. Uh, let's do it again sometime. Let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter because. Uh, just so they can they can track this thing as you, as you go along. Uh, I mean, my Twitter my Twitter name's at Evan Kazarzak. A little tough to spell. It's E V I N and Kazarzak is. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you'll find it, but that's where I'll I'm put at it. I'll put it in the comment section for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's it's just my first and last name. Um, you know, I hope I obviously hope to be back with the Bills. That would be awesome again. But you know, hopefully, I get an opportunity somewhere wherever it is. You know, I'll be grateful for it, but. No, I appreciate you guys having me on here, too. It was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Evan, thank you so much. Have yourself a great week, and we wish you all the best of luck. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Uh, I think that's always fun, Ryan, like talking to a, a player that, you know, experiences the league from the practice squad perspective uh, is something that, you know, we don't really get a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of interest in that usually because, you know, you're worried about, you know, the big time players, but there's a lot of, you know, information that you can kind of learn from, from those guys. And I think, you know, just what he talked about with Ed Oliver was something that, you know, I kind of knew probably where he was going when you asked that question, but uh, it was interesting to see that. Yeah, really good stuff from Evan. Uh, and, you know, he's right. He entered the league at maybe the, the hardest time to get into the league. And that was those COVID years where uh, he didn't get to put on a lot of film or tape or get opportunities. So uh, kudos to him for these first two years. You know, you mentioned or he mentioned he's been to a few different spots and teams and destinations. And hopefully wherever he lands here in 2022 is one that he can stick at for some time. We got a couple more things for you before we get into our reaction to the uh, Aaron Cromer news. The Bills have a new offensive line coach. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but I thought let's go to the expert. A, Eric Wood is a former offensive lineman. B, he played for Aaron Cromer. So I thought I want to have a conversation with him. I did that yesterday. I'm going to play that uh, actually right now, uh, but from hot to go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs to delicious salads and brownie trays. Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. Make sure you get there this week. Get stocked up for this weekend. All right, here is my interview with Eric Wood. We'll be back in a little bit to uh, to break it all down and talk a little bit more Bills football and more. All right, I'm here with Eric Wood, uh, one of the voices of the Buffalo Bills broadcast, former center uh, for the Bills. What is up, buddy? How are you? I'm doing great, man. How about you? I think I think both of us wish we were in L.A. this week, but other than that, I'm all good. I was, it's so funny you say that because we were just talking off air about like things kind of dying down, but one in the, like getting to, into the off season. But one thing that I saw this week was a Cincinnati Bengals post about the Bengals shipping off uh, t- to LA. And I thought, man, what would it be like this week to be covering a Super Bowl? That probably would have been, would have been pretty cool. Is that something as a player, you know, now in the role that you're in now, 
what would that kind of experience be like for you watching the Bills if if they were to go to a Super Bowl? You know, the way my career ended, there was no looking back, there was no second guessing the decision. So for me, I can be at peace and just root them on. And everyone in the organization is so unbelievably great to me. I enjoy my role covering the Bills on the radio broadcast. It's a lot of fun to still be around. So I, I would be ecstatic. Um, I was promised by Bean, I brought it up to Bean that I would be his security at all the Super Bowl parties and parades. <laughs> he said, brother, you're with me wherever we go. So that there was hope that maybe I would be a part of a Super Bowl parade this year. One of the interviews uh, that you've done uh, on your awesome podcast, What's Next with Eric Wood, was uh, an episode or two maybe with Brandon Bean. Uh, the catalog there is growing. It's unbelievable. The last couple have been uh, home run guests. You had Jordan Poyer on towards the end of the season. Kyle Brandt was on recently. And I just uh, it crushed most of uh, the Lee Smith interview. Anytime Lee Smith talks, I'm there for it. And funny enough, when you guys were talking and the the dynamic between you two, it dawned on me that you're older than Lee Smith, which I would not get that vibe at all. Just knowing you both individually, he's such kind of like an old soul. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, when he got to the bills, he already had multiple kids. Like we had no kids. I don't even know if I was married when I was throwing baseball to his son Brody in our indoor complex when he was three or four. So you're right. He was kind of one stage ahead of me through all that. And he is truly an old soul. I've been told I'm an old soul as well, but He's just like that grizzled old, got some wisdom to him. But I appreciate the plug on the podcast. It's not always a Bills theme. And, you know, not that I don't want to like, not that I don't want to keep going to the well and that I know Bills fans truly enjoy those, but it almost kind of blend. It just kind of blends that like work with the bills and then also my podcast separately when I do too much of a bills theme, but the numbers have been so great recently. We're going to have to tap into that. Well, some more. And then uh, tomorrow, which will release will be, or this week will release is Andrew Whitworth who played his first 11 seasons with the Cincinnati Bengals. They're a perennial loser before Whitworth gets there. And then the Rams struggled mightily before Whit gets there. This will be a second Super Bowl, And he's the first offensive lineman to play into his forties and start a game this year. He turned 40 years old. So remarkable human being, definitely a culture guy, a tone setter in that locker room. And you could tell while one player, especially an offensive lineman, we've seen point spreads never move if an offensive lineman gets hurt or gets traded. But he's a guy that that makes a big impact on an organization. Man, I'm looking forward to that. I saw uh, that story about him and Burrow training together out in L.A. in the offseason. Uh, that was obviously getting a lot of buzz this week. Uh, Whitworth, I mean, the ageless wonder. I, I do think that it's more impressive what he's been able to do than Tom Brady, obviously different things. I mean, to play into your forties in the NFL is impressive in its own right, but on the offensive line, that's crazy, man. Yeah, it, it is. Cause there's so much contact and it's unavoidable contact. Like I feel like the last 12 or 15 years, I've really never seen Brady hit. Like mm-hmm. you never see him take a really big shot. He's gotten so smart and so good at just getting rid of the football when he knows the plays that he doesn't scramble a whole lot. Although he did run for at least one first down against the Bills this year, maybe multiple, <laughs> which is just the tendency breaker. Mac Jones does the same thing in the playoff game, taking off running against this Bills defense. But uh, that being said, the thing that impressed me so much about Tom Brady this year in walking away the way he has is he led the NFL in passing yards and touchdowns and his arms seemed so live. Like we've become accustomed to seeing Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger and Phillip Rivers to an extent later in their career where they can't really push the ball down the field. 
it's almost like Tom Brady was better this year than he was even early on in his career, arm talent wise. I think like I was talking about this with a friend of mine recently um, about Brady retiring. Like, how could you go out on top? It's like, how could you not? I mean, you have no chance to regress. I mean, you're literally going out, you know, it's still atop the league in the MVP conversation. It's a cool story. Uh, well, maybe not so much for Bills fans, but uh, I digress. All right. So I got you on here today to talk about uh, specifically, you know, the new Bills offensive line coach, Aaron Cromer. The news was announced uh, over the last 48 hours here. Um, and you tweeted, you were the one of the first people to tweet when the news dropped saying it's, this is a big time hire. He was uh, one of, I believe five offensive line coaches that you had, uh, in your time with the bills, uh, obviously a big fan of his. And I wanted to ask a, your reaction to the hire, but also, you know, you have a really good relationship with Sean McDermott. I'm not saying that, you know, you would have had to talk to him, but in a hypothetical situation, if Sean McDermott would have talked to you about Aaron Cromer, uh, before you know, signing off on signing him, what would you tell him? What would you pitch to him for what the Bills would be getting in an offensive line coach? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And, I, and I've had to answer similar things recently with just the interest in what is Aaron Cromer going to bring to the table? I think one of the things that Aaron brings is he brings experience as an offensive coordinator to this offensive staff. He's called plays in this league. He was the interim head coach in New Orleans. This is a guy that can aid a first-time play caller in Ken Dorsey. He's an answers guy. He is a problem solver on the sideline, and he's an asset to the staff from a knowledge standpoint, from a technique standpoint. Honestly, it was a game changer for me having him. Most offensive line coaches, and I I got I was fortunate to play under excellent offensive line coaches at Buffalo, but a lot of them, their strength is band the group together. Everyone's going to play tough. We're going to go out and maul people. And Cromer's got a little of that in him. But he's just so smart technically. He gives you answers on the field. He gives you techniques based upon your skill set. So what I was doing is definitely going to be different than Richie Incognito, who's just an absolute physical specimen. Richie came out of the womb ready to play offensive line. I had to put on 100 pounds between uh, high school and college to get that done. So that being said, Cromer is excellent. He studied under Bill Callahan, studied under Howard Mudd regarded as many as the two best offensive line coaches in history. So all that being said, ringing endorsement for a guy that I remain friends with to this day, have a great relationship with him, his family. His son, Zach, was on staff with us. He'll be coaching in the Super Bowl for the Rams as an assistant offensive line coach, or maybe he's just an offensive assistant out there. But I I know at one point he was the assistant offensive line coach. So really close with them and their family. And, I mean, not that they shouldn't be, But the excitement from the family to come back to Buffalo kind of just warms my heart because he was let go a part of the Rex Ryan staff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no hard feelings. You you understand that when you hire a Sean McDermott, Aaron Cromer got a job with the Rams before Cromer even filled out his staff. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. there was no bad blood there. There was no ill feelings. He is so excited to come back and work with this offensive group that's as talented as there is in the league. The thing that you started off with there and his ability to kind of be a voice in the building for Ken Dorsey, a young guy that's going to, you know, take over the whole operation. And that's one of the things where when I've been talking to people about what this is going to look like with Ken Dorsey, one of the things that, you know, comes up is the role of being the Bills offensive coordinator. Listen, I know, you know, Sean has a a hand in pretty much everything. Uh, and, And he does a really good job to his credit. The way that he allows his coordinators to run both sides of the ball, I think is a credit to him. 
But on the offensive side, I feel like Brian Dable was really almost like the junior CEO of that offense. And now Ken Dorsey is going to kind of step into a similar role on him. How much is he, do you feel in your view from, you know, what you've observed, is he ready for that? You know, it's hard to say because I, I've, I've never been in the building with Ken Dorsey and I've spent a lot of time around him. We generally would work out on road games around the same time. Very cordial, nice guy, has a has a tremendous amount of respect from everyone within the organization, especially the players. It goes a long way when the starting quarterback gives you an endorsement because he does not have to do that. Josh Allen, mm-hmm. I mean, with his contract situation, if he wanted them to look outside the building, he could have said that and no one have batted an eye or just simply not even bring it up. The fact that he gave him such a ringing endorsement, to me, signals – couple things. One, he has faith in him as an offense coordinator. Two, Josh Allen at this point of his career does not want to switch schemes. He's played in the same scheme his entire career, and you've seen incredible development partially because of that. Well, now you keep a similar scheme. Ken Dorsey was with Cam Newton and um, that staff in Carolina, so he has experience working with, I don't want to say a quarterback of similar skill set, but earlier I was asked about do you think Ken Dorsey runs him similar to Cam Newton? And I say, no, I don't. I think in must-win situations, you'll see Josh carry the ball more. In the red zone, in games that are in crunch time, yes. But Ken Dorsey got a front-row seat of what it looked like to have a quarterback beaten down throughout his career to where those injuries caught up to him at the end, and he he's currently a shell of what he was early in his career. So uh, to me, Ken brings a lot of experience, not as a play caller, and we'll see – how many new wrinkles there are. Um, maybe Sean McDermott has some say on that. Maybe it's Aaron Cromer. Uh, maybe it's Joe Brady in the past game. I'm not exactly sure, but that offense that we saw the last six, seven weeks of the season, when Sean, Sean McDermott was very critical of the offense midway through the year. Top five offense throughout the entire season, but he was very critical of them midway through the year. I think that's the offense that Sean wanted to see where it's effective running the football, that allows more play action, a little bit more ball control. And, you know, obviously they were putting up points at an incredible rate. I'm excited uh, to learn a bit, little bit more about Joe Brady. I actually have an interview later today uh, with a coach that he was on staff with at Penn State, Jim Moorhead, who's now at Akron, uh, to kind of dive into their their story a little bit, write a little feature for next week. Um, it's it, it has the potential to look a lot different. Um, but the, the the unit itself, the offensive line, I think is going to look pretty similar. They might add a couple pieces, maybe in the draft or free agency. Um, I was listening to a late season hit that you did with Mike Shope. And, you know, at that time, I think it was right before the run started in Tampa Bay, where there was a lot of heat on the offensive line, you know, right or wrong. And you kind of had like a really measured approach to it, you know, from what I view as an expert take on, on the thing. I mean, you, you played offensive line in this league, you know, what goes into it more than the average viewer. And you said like, let's temper some of these overreactions. I, I, a lot of what I see out there is, is really good play. You know, it starts with Mitch Morse, Deion Dawkins has really good moments. And then, you know, it had been John Feliciano at times, Ike Bucker at times overall, especially with the way they ended the season. How did you think that offensive line performed last year? Yeah, overall, I thought they played well, you know, in, in to, to your point, exactly what you were just saying. If you look around the NFL, 
there's a lot of really bad offensive line play, especially towards the second half of the season when people start to get dinged up. The guys just aren't coming out of college ready to roll anymore. And then there's no kind of feeder system into the NFL. There's not that NFL Europe to develop guys anymore where you might have a 26, 27-year-old rookie, but he spent time over in NFL Europe and developed himself. There's not that league under there, which is a separate topic that we could fill a whole podcast with, with quarterback play and offensive line play potentially hurting the brand moving forward if we don't get that true developmental league. Uh, because the college offenses are just so much different than these NFL offenses, even if they're taking some pieces from them. It's just it's a hard transition. And so it's easy to look at the Bills offensive line and say, this guy made this mistake. This guy made this mistake. He needs to be benched. He's not good enough. But myself included, I'm I'm a. I'm majority just watching the Buffalo Bills each week in, in in the primetime games or whatever it may be, just because we're covering the team. And so you can get so locked in on a few mistakes here and there and not understand that I don't want to call it a pandemic just because of the times we're in, but there's a lack of great offensive linemen around the NFL right now. So I have a lot of confidence in this group moving forward. And, you know, I think towards the end of the year when they did start to run the football a little bit more, and I mean, it wasn't, I mean, hardly a move in percentage, you probably know, but maybe five or six percent more they're running the football, made them a little less predictable, made that defensive line honor the run game a little bit more. It helped him out a lot. Cody Ford, what could Aaron Cromer mean for him? Yeah, so similar to what I said earlier, where he's not just going to try and fit everyone into this technique, into this box and say, you have to play in this way. I think when you look at kind of a heavier footed guy like a Cody Ford, that reminds me a lot of a John Miller who played excellent at the start of his career under Aaron Cromer. And so maybe he can teach him some techniques to help him out and maybe just a change of direction in the room, a change of coach in the room could help out a Cody Ford because, you know, that's a, that's a guy that the Bills will likely want to keep again. So you have him on this fourth year of his rookie deal. He was a second rounder, so it's not going to cost you a whole much. Even quality backup offensive linemen in the NFL nowadays aren't cheap. And so if you could keep him and develop him and then maybe retain him, if you could develop him this year and then get him on a lower-end contract, those are the types of things that the Bills are – I know that Bean and his staff are conscious of moving forward, just understanding that this year the salary cap hit isn't enormous for Josh. But after that, it gets really big. To your point that, you know, reimagining what this could look like, you know, Mitch Morris played so well this year. I mean, they got to figure out a way that makes he's under contract next season. Obviously, there's some, you know, maybe they can restructure that. Maybe they can extend him and, and kind of, you know, cushion the cap hit next year. There's a lot of options, I think, with Mitch Morris's contract. I think he'll be in play no matter what they have to do. Um, Daryl Williams is somebody that I think is interesting because he was so good and versatile for him the last two years for them, the last two years. Is that a situation where with Cody Ford on the roster, potentially Feliciano, maybe Ryan Bates, who you can re-sign, uh, who's a restricted free agent that maybe the bills can move on from Daryl Williams. Or is that a kind of guy that you got to find a way to maybe bring him back to? Those guys are valuable, but you got to look at the cap and you got to consider everything because it's not necessarily your top eight offensive linemen that make the active roster or nine, I guess, nowadays. It's not your top nine. Sometimes it becomes a salary cap situation, but guys that can play guard and tackle and have starting experience and have a lot of experience in the league, those guys are valuable because you have a lot of faith in them and you know what they're going to look like on Sundays. Now, Generally, and, and who knows what the draft will look like in free agency, but generally you put a guy like Tommy Doyle into a role as that sixth offensive lineman coming in, playing tight end, 
you want to kind of transition that guy into the mix. Now, I don't know that Tommy Doyle can play guard. He's six foot eight, and those lower guys can get under his pads. But can he now be your swing guy? Is there somebody else that you could plug in at guard? What does free agency look like? Can you bring in, you know, a cheaper, uh, a cheaper guy than Daryl Williams? That's all to be seen. I'm a fan of Daryl as a player just over time. I think he's put out good film. The versatility he showed with the Bills has been great. But he's a guy that you could definitely see them moving on to if need be, and that's the reality of the NFL and the salary cap situation. You're always you know, kind of having to play that game. Well, the game uh, that we play these days is the podcast game, and you are crushing it, my friend. Thank you so much for this time. Go find What's Next with Eric Wood on all the podcast platforms. You're pushing Spotify pretty heavy, right? They can get it over there. Yes, on Spotify now, and now we're like double on Spotify than Apple, and we used to not even kind of track what we were doing on Spotify. So that's been incredible to see. I don't, I don't know if there's been some like extra shares through social media. You get the right person or two to share a podcast, and it, it helps out in a big way. So, no, I appreciate you having me on. I'm a big fan of the show. I tell everybody when they ask me how I prep for uh, the games throughout the week, when I'm not in Buffalo and I'm not in the press conference and I try and listen to all that, but there's, there's a few podcasts that I definitely will listen to and y'all are one of them. We appreciate you, man. Uh, enjoy your off season, get some rest, play a lot of golf. We'll see you in the press box soon. Yep. That's the plan. See you, man. Eric Wood delivering on short notice, a lot of great Intel insight on new offensive line coach for the Buffalo bills, Aaron Cromer, Ryan, your reaction. Let's get into this a, a little bit more. Um, interesting to kind of go back and, and, and Eric Wood saying there that, listen, when, when, when he left, when the Rex Ryan, uh, crew got kind of blown up a little bit, he had a job before Sean McDermott even really put together his staff. So it wasn't a situation where McDermott didn't want him. It just, it wasn't in the cards at the time and now bringing him back. I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, this could be a, a very positive addition. Yeah, I agree completely. Listen, uh, the units under Cromer when he was here in Buffalo uh, performed well. The run game performed well. And, and mind you, this is not going to be a run first team uh, with, with Josh Yellen at the helm. But he, he's shown that he can effectively get his guys to run block. He has a track record as a successful offensive line coach. And, you know, no, not to diss any of the other candidates that were in play, but uh, there were three three other guys that were reported uh, had, reportedly had interviewed and none of them really stood out as, Oh, you know, hopefully they really get this guy. I think Aaron uh, Cromer is someone who has that track record. He, he's been with some really good coaches in his time. He's sat under the Bill Callahan tree. Uh, one of the best in the business, if not the best. So I'm really excited to see him back here in Buffalo. One of the things I've, I, I was saying on uh Danger and Battaglia in Rochester uh, yesterday was I think the biggest thing for me with Cromer is a new voice for some of the guys that maybe, you know, haven't met their potential. Like, you know, Mitch Morse, Deion Dawkins, those guys have been superb. And, you know, I, I think Spencer Brown had a really good rookie season, but a new voice, new techniques, new the approach to the position that a lot of these guys play. The guy that you think about first and foremost is Cody Ford. And, you know, you don't know really about the relationship between him and Bobby Johnson or Brian Dable, but maybe those relationships soured and maybe a new voice, a new approach will do good things for Cody Ford. And I think, you know, maybe this is something that maybe in some ways that's what led to Bobby Johnson taking the job in New York is that like, you know, 
sometimes it's just about being somewhere for a stretch of time, doing as much as you can there, and then moving on. I mean, even the stop before this job for Cromer with the Rams, it was a three-year stint. He was out of coaching this past season. Sometimes a job, an environment, a place will run its course. This could be a real fresh voice, a fresh uh, you know, change in direction for this entire Bills O-line group. Yeah, and you know, usually when you think of that, the the fresh perspective, it's a player leaving and going to another team. But sometimes it's just a new coach coming in and helping that player and, and working with their strengths and getting them back out there. You know, listen, Cody Ford up to this point has underwhelmed. He's had his issues. He's he's had his injuries, but when he's been out there, he's had his struggles as well. But this is another coach that can come in and try to get that talent that that you know that Ford has untapped. Potential, I guess, is a better way of putting it. And, and get him out on the field when the opportunity arises to see what he can do. Because as Eric mentioned in, in your interview with him, uh, still on a rookie contract, still a lot of value there, still a very young player. Uh, and the, no matter what team you are and who you are, even if, even if Ford isn't in the mix to be a starter next year, depth is so important in this league and in this game because you know uh, how injuries can pop up and, and how the Bills, you know, finally forced them to get Ryan Bates in the lineup this year. And we saw how that paid off for them. So you're hoping that maybe something clicks for him. The light bulb comes on this season, but it, it certainly can't hurt to have another coach in there to kind of work with Ford to see what they can get out of him. A lot of turnover for Sean McDermott's coaching staff. I mean, he's going to have two new coordinators at this point. Uh, the Bills uh, lost Keith Farwell, uh, he left to go and sign with the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, which opened the door for the Bills to promote Matthew Smiley, who's been in assistance since 2017. That news was uh, announced today. And, you know, that's interesting because there's a there's a potential, Ryan, for a lot of turnover uh, on special teams. I mean, Taiwan Jones, Saran Neal are both free agents. Tyler Medikevich, there's, there's some, some room there if the Bills want to – either cut him or rework his deal again. I don't know what it'll end up looking like. You know, he's not guaranteed to be back. So this is a situation where this is kind of what we talk about over and over again. These Super Bowl windows, they open and they close so quickly. I'm not saying that that's necessarily happening here. You still have Josh Allen. I like the direction things are going on offense, and we'll see what happens on defense. But, you know, this is a a special teams unit. Uh, Rick Gosselin over um, at Sports Illustrated, he puts together rankings for special teams units all every season. The Bills have been top 10 in his rankings the past two seasons. And I know people weren't thrilled about the 13 seconds uh, and what how that all started off with the kickoff for Tyler Bass. But Bass has been a really, really good prospect that I think he far well helped find. Uh, He coached him up. He developed him. And so the transition to Smiley, while – you know, I hear a lot of good things about Matthew Smiley, too. This is something to pay attention to here. Yeah, it absolutely is. That The one thing I'll say about Smiley is I, I think the Bills must have felt good about him being the heir apparent of that position uh, to be the next special teams coordinator because there were a lot of really good coordinators that became available uh, this offseason, you know, starting at the very top, obviously the interim coach with the Las Vegas Raiders. You had uh, the coach in a lot of the top 10 teams. I think there's two or three of them that have changed teams this season from Rick Oslin's, uh top 10 list. And if the Bills really wanted to pounce on one of those guys, I think they would have made that move official or parted ways maybe with Heath Farwell before he took that job officially 
uh, to, to kind of make a move. So they must really like Smiley. That's the encouraging part of this. They they seem to have their kicker of the future here in Tyler Bass, who's been uh, spectacular early in his career. Obviously, they have to go back to the drawing board on, on the punt, uh, punter and the punting situation. And then you mentioned it, some key special teams players. Uh, what do they do with the Taiwan Jones? You know, Taiwan Jones is up there in age. Maybe if they do want to bring him back, it's at no more than a veteran minimum. And, and I think that would be a fair deal for both parties. Tyler Medikevich, as good as he is on special teams, you know, can you free up a couple million dollars by letting him go and letting someone else fill that spot? Absolutely. So those are the decisions that Smiley's going to have to make. But it's clear that the Bills do think highly of him because of the fact that, one, as soon as that move of Farwell leaving was pretty much announced by the national media. The Bills shortly thereafter came out with the news saying, hey, here's our new special teams coordinator. They had that waiting in the wings and ready to go. Show's coming at you every week. Well, we got some guests lined up. We're pretty excited about uh, some national uh, voices. We'll bring on some local voices. You know, you know the, the deal. I mean, it, most people, this isn't your first rodeo on Shouty Buffalo football podcast. You know uh, how we do this thing. Uh, we got a game on Sunday, Ryan Talbot. It is Super Bowl. It is the Los Angeles Rams versus Cincinnati Bengals. I know tough, uh, for Bills fans. Uh, somebody asked me on a radio show though, like, do they, do I think that Bills fans will watch? I mean, come on. We're all football fans. <laughs> I think, uh, I think people are going to watch the Super Bowl, uh, and, and want to see two, uh, re- very interesting quarterback stories. Obviously, the up and coming Joe Burrow versus the veteran Matthew Stafford. Uh, let's go with our picks here. I'm I'm going with the Rams. I like I like everything that they kind of got working for them in this moment. I don't think that the moment will be too big for uh, Joe Burrow. I think that they'll show up. I think it'll be a competitive game. But I think like if you're going, you know, a, a, you know, two weeks for Sean McVay to figure out a way to attack this Cincinnati Bengals defense, which played really well in the second half and overtime against Kansas City, but I think that they played their best football of the season in that moment. And I don't think they'll be able to replicate that for 60 minutes against Stafford, Odell Beckham Jr., Cooper Cup, Cam Akers. I mean, you name it. Uh, there's a lot of talent. You know, and the Whitworth uh, storyline, too. I mean, this is a guy that has been in the league a long time, played with the Bengals. Now he's with the Rams. I definitely think that Cincinnati can win this game, but everything in my gut is telling me the Rams are going to win. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you. I have the Rams winning this one 34-24, so I think it's going to be a competitive game. It's going to be a fun game. For me, it comes down to the Rams' defensive line versus that Bengals' offensive line. I think Aaron Donald can be a game wrecker in this matchup, uh, really make life miserable for Burrow. We, we saw him get sacked nine times in that Titans game. You throw in Von Miller, who's playing a, you know, a good brand of football right now. I think that they can... Uh, really make things tough on Burrow. And, and listen, I'm a huge Joe Burrow fan. I, I I think he's great. I really like him a lot. People kind of forget that late in that Kansas City game, he threw a few balls that were almost intercepted. He almost made those, those head-scratching throws, one near the sidelines, one that was dropped by a defender, where that game could have had a completely different ending. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he gets pressed and he makes one of those mistakes. He's still a young quarterback and, and a very promising one at that. But I think Stafford and the Rams take this one and can pretty much win a home Super Bowl. If you're hosting a large party this weekend, check out Topps' huge selection of party platters for a delicious, effortless, and an affordable, no-stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasyfoodball. I got to go. Uh, my wife is upstairs waiting to uh, crush the, the last few episodes of Ted Lasso. I don't know if we'll finish season two tonight, but we may. 
I have a feeling that I'll be in for a couple tear jerkers. It is a, it is quite the show. It is, it has blossomed into what I think is, is maybe my favorite show on TV right now. So uh, for anybody in the comments that gave me a hard time last week, thank you for that. I deserved it. I deserved uh, that kind of uh, reaction for my heinous and horrible take. Ted Lasso is legit. Yeah, absolutely legit. And then after that, binge Murderville on Netflix. Will Arnett, very funny. Six episodes, 30 minutes. You'll be done with it soon. It's good. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. All right. I got I to gotta trust you. I, I, you know, we don't always agree. We see eye to eye on, on these kinds of things, but you, 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 you brought it for Ted Lasso. So I'm going to stick with you for, for this next one. Actually, we kind of actually, what am I talking about? We, we see that pretty much eye to eye <laughs> on most of these kinds of things. Big office fans. Yep. I think, uh, you know, all the superhero movies. So. All right, that'll do it. Uh, make sure you hit that like button. Subscribe as well before you go. If you're listening on the audio platforms, thank you so much. Leave a, a review. Make sure you're uh, subscribed so you get the episodes delivered right to you every week. We'll be back next Wednesday with another guest with another big show. I think we're going to dive into some free agency stuff next week. We've passed the Super Bowl. Have a lot to talk about. Take care, everybody. Have a great week, weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.